0: Welcome to Decision Vision, a podcast series focusing on critical business decisions. Brought to you by Brady Ware and Company. Brady Ware is a regional, full service accounting and advisory firm that helps businesses and entrepreneurs make visions a reality. Welcome to Decision Vision, a podcast giving you the listener clear vision to make great decisions. In each episode, we discuss the process of decision making on a different topic from the business owner's or executive's perspective. We aren't necessarily telling you what to do but we can put you in a position to make an informed decision on your own and understand when you might need help along the way. My name is Mike Blake and I'm your host for today's program. I'm a director at Brady Ware & Company, a full-service accounting firm based in Dayton, Ohio, with offices in Dayton, Columbus, Ohio, Richmond, Indiana, and Alpharetta, Georgia, which is where we are recording today. Brady Warren is sponsoring this podcast. If you like this podcast, please subscribe on your favorite podcast aggregator, and please consider leaving a review of the podcast as well. So today we're gonna we're gonna talk a little bit about a, a somewhat contentious topic, which is should I fire should I fire my lawyer? And um, you know, I want to I want to address this topic because you know, as as a business advisor, uh, I run into. I'm I'm asked to frankly opine on whether or not a a you know a client is getting good representation from from their lawyer and and maybe why that is. And now I I'm not an attorney. I don't opi- I don't opine on matters of law. I have no idea if somebody's getting good legal advice or not. But I think what we're going to find is is that the legal advice itself is a fraction of what goes into a constructive or a non-constructive client lawyer relationship. And, and, and I like this, I like this topic because I think there, you know, as a service provider myself, you know, with, with, with some of our clients, we do go through our ups and downs. Sometimes, some, sometimes it's something that I wish I would have done differently sometimes it's really through nobody's fault uh, of of their own and sometimes you find that maybe that isn't a relationship that's working and it, it really is best for both parties to kind of go their separate ways and in other cases it's actually an opportunity to to kind of strengthen to kind of strengthen the relationship um, but you know a, a lawyer the legal counsel is one of the most important and intimate relationships you can you can have in business. And I think that particularly in the United States, because we have such a highly developed legal culture and and and, you know, the nature of a lawyer as a business advisor, I think is as strong here as it is any any place in the world. And it's it's really hard to do business well and the long term if you don't have great legal advice. And if you're really not getting the kind of relationship that you want, then maybe you should think about changing. But I, I think I think the I think the, 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 the part where I caution my clients on, on making a change is, you know, understand what is it exactly that you're unhappy about, right? understand what is it that, that your legal counsel can, can, can reasonably impact versus, you know, maybe they're getting you the the best out of a a suboptimal situation. And in, in fairness, um, in about a month or so, we will record a podcast and should I fire my CPA too? So this is not taking a shot at lawyers. It's, it's really taking a shot. It's really, trying to, it's really trying to walk through what I think is a healthy process that when you have people in your circle who are trusted advisors, I think it is critical that every once in a while you take a step back and you reassess, is that trusted advisory relationship working as well for me as, as it can and should. And if it's not, what is the remedy? Is the remedy to then make the relationship better? Or is the remedy to terminate the relationship and, 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 and do something else? Um, but you know, spoiler alert, it's not, I'm pissed off today. And so I'm just going to fire everybody and move on. That's usually not the right. Sometimes that's the right answer, but usually, usually it's not. Um, and and we're going to kind of walk through that today. And, and joining us today to talk about this uh, topic is, is my pal, Jeff Berman, who's a partner and co-founder of Berman Fink Van Horn. Uh, Berman Fink Van Horn is a full-service law firm that provides legal services to a diverse group of clients in the areas of business and real estate litigation, non-compete agreements and trade secrets, mergers, acquisitions, and corporate finance, labor and employment, banking and creditors' rights, commercial real estate, and general legal services for mid-market companies, family-owned businesses, and entrepreneurial startup endeavors. Their attorneys take great pride in delivering results-driven, high-quality experience based on knowledge, expertise, and a personal touch unique to Berman Fink Van Horn. A shareholder at Berman Fink Van Horn, Jeff leads the firm's corporate and business practice. In addition to -to day-to-day business matters, the practice includes mergers and acquisitions for middle-market companies. Employment agreements, succession and estate planning for business owners, commercial real estate and contracts and agreements of all kinds. In the community, Jeff serves on the Jewish Home Life Board of Directors and is chair of the Business and Strategic Planning Committee. He's a Georgia native, having grown up in Augusta, Georgia. Graduated from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill and Emory University School of Law. Jeff Berman, thank you for coming to the program.
1: My pleasure. Thank you, Michael, for having me.
0: So, and and really, thank you because. I think it's brave to talk about this topic, um, and and frankly, that's why I reached out to you because I don't think everybody would have the courage to to talk about this 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 topic because it it is sensitive and it it requires I think vulnerability and introspection and self reflection to some extent because I won't put words in your mouth but I'll put myself up out there you know not every client relationship I've had in my career has lasted forever and has been happily ever after. And, and sometimes it's appropriate, excuse <clears> me, <throat> for that relationship to end. And, uh, uh, but there are a lot more people, frankly, who have legal counsel in their circle than some idiot valuation guy like me. And so I think there's a much wider appeal to, to this, this discussion. So, uh, again, kudos to you for being willing to, to address it, though I'm, I'm not at all surprised. Um, so let me, let me, dive right into it. You know, how how often do clients fire their lawyers? Is that a fairly common occurrence? Is it rare? Is it all over the board? What's your experience in that regard?
1: I think my experience, and I think it's different from, say, a litigation practice, a lawyer that practices litigation, and a lawyer that's in a transactional corporate practice, which is what I'm in. And I, I think a lot of it depends upon the The type of practice, for instance, a a lawyer that handles divorces, those lawyers are probably attuned to people are going to fire them, because people do not like their divorce lawyers. Um, and talk about an emotionally charged situation anywhere where you're probably walking in mad. Correct. I've had um, family lawyers, divorce lawyers, tell me that they are reluctant to even refer their clients to, say, a financial advisor because by the time the relationship between that divorce lawyer and their client end, the client hates the lawyer. Hmm. So that therefore they're going to hate the financial advisor. So they know going in there's a lot of risk. PI lawyers, Probably a personal injury. Yeah. Personal injury lawyers, probably a a high risk. Also, Um, generally, though, people do fire their lawyers and as a lawyer and I know we'll talk about as we go on today, uh, that's fraught with a lot of anxiety um, and many times it's fraught with making a mistake so i know as we go on yep. we can we'll we'll delve into that a little bit more it does happen um and probably it happens pretty frequently we're fortunate at in my firm that it doesn't happen a whole lot yep um and i think it's the way we deal with clients that um prevents it from happening with us yep so and sometimes this is not
0: necessarily some, the the relationship goes both ways. And interestingly, I think to this day, our most popular podcast has, is on the topic, should I fire a client? And that was the second one that we did. And that one just sort of blew up and put us on the map. I did not think it would be that it it would have been that popular, but, but it was, but you know, sometimes I think lawyers do fire their clients as well. Right?
1: Absolutely. Uh, When I was very early in my practice, a an an older attorney said to me, "Jeff, don't take every client that walks in the door," that and that is that is advice to live by. Um, <clears throat> most law firms should have engagement letters, and those engagement letters typically would explain the reasons why a lawyer may terminate the relationship. For instance, our engagement letter says that. If a client insists upon us presenting a claim or a defense that isn't warranted by law, and we don't think there's a reasonable expectation that the law could change, that that's one reason we would fire a fire a, a, a client. If the client wanted us to pursue some illegal activity, that would be a reason we would say we need we need to terminate this relationship. If the client doesn't pay us, yep. <clears throat> that's a that's a big one, of yep. course um we are a business, and that's how we earn our living. But if a client doesn't pay us, that is grounds for us to terminate our relationship and generally, if the client just fails to cooperate, if we need to have a conversation about a particular matter and we need to have it today or tomorrow, and the client just disappears, um we're not going to be able to provide the service the client wants, they're going to be unhappy that's a reason to terminate a relationship,
0: you know, in my own experience, one thing I think at which I have improved, I'm certainly not perfect. I like to think it's one of the benefits of, of, uh, of aging and having gray hair and two arthritic ankles is, um, is, you know, I've learned when to fire clients as well and and walk away from clients and, and doesn't, mean that they're, they're bad people. But one thing I've observed in my life, in my career is that, uh, I can tell you to, I can tell you the letter, every client that I regretted taking, I can, there's not a single client I can identify that I regretted walking away from. Agreed. <laughs> right. There are yes. ones that go oh, why yes. did I do that? Right. But, but every time I've, I've walked away from them, I'm like, yep, that was the right decision. <laughs> and, and
1: we still talk about those type of clients, all the time right. in our office as a learning experience. Right. This was a reason it didn't work. Avoid this in the future. They're
0: cautionary tales, not for us, just for us, our partners and our younger associates, right? Don't, Absolutely. don't do it the way that I did it. Correct. So, you know, I hadn't thought of this, but to me, it's intuitively right. Certain kinds of law, I think, are more prone to changing legal counsel. And probably the more emotionally charged the matter is, the more likely it is, I guess, you're going to change, Which which implies to me that, the decision to change legal counsel is is largely or a very heavily emotionally charged decision yes is, is that fair I, I
1: think yes,
0: and so is is emotion a big driver then behind that behind that decision, and if so, what are the emotions you think that kind of take charge or, or lead that decision process I
1: think that a lot of lawyers – or if, if clients are going to leave lawyers, there's probably a litany of reasons, um, and emotion is a very big driver in that. It's, it's important that a lawyer communicate with their client, and communication is certainly sending emails, um, sending text, making phone calls when there's something really important. You don't want to send a client a really important matter or issue – by email, call them. Um, communication is also you want that client to be involved in decisions. You want the client to be engaged. You want them to be involved in their case. And if they're not, they're going to drift away. Um, in, in litigation, again, to separate that from, say, a transactional practice, in litigation, if if a, ma- if, if a matter is in court and a motion is lost, Something that the client is asking the court to do, and the court disagrees that clients take that hard, and emotionally they are very unhappy. If the attorney had communicated, had explained the risk, had explained that it they could lose, but it's worth the risk, then the client is much more likely to stay um, I think clients hate to bring up billing again, but billing is one of those reasons that clients may leave. They may not understand clearly the billing process. So it's incumbent upon the lawyer to explain that early, early, early in the process. And for instance, in addition, at at our firm, our bills are extremely detailed. We believe clients pay more attention to our bill than they may to anything else they get from our law firm. And if you just simply say, Work performed X dollars, that doesn't, that doesn't tell them what you're doing. So that's a, that's a form of communication for us. Also, if, if a lawyer is unprofessional, the lawyer doesn't show up on time for a meeting, doesn't appear to be prepared. Um, that may be grounds to at least start thinking about, I may need another lawyer Sometimes clients don't agree with how a matter is being handled, and again, you want to communicate with your client, explain why, but if the client's unhappy, then they may well terminate the relationship. If the the lawyer seems incompetent, and sometimes that's difficult for a client to tell because we're the lawyers, they're not, they're seeking advice from us, and if you're talking to your lawyer and that lawyer just does not have answers to probably issues that you would think they should, then maybe they're not the right lawyer and that should be a reason to consider moving on to another attorney. um, And maybe finally, just incompatible styles. Some lawyers are bulldogs. Um, Some lawyers are not. That doesn't make one better than the other. But if you're a client that wants somebody just to go beat the other side over the head. And your client's not that bulldog. It's a relationship that's prone to to be unsuccessful. So that would be a reason I think that a client would move on to another, to another lawyer.
0: Let me, let me sink my teeth in uh, that last one a little bit. Cause I think that's really interesting. Um, yeah, I, 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 I don't do litigation. I'm, I'm, I'm not a particularly good or enthusiastic expert witness. Um, but but I know enough about the process I can talk about it intelligently and when I'm asked for a referral to a litigation attorney, I often will counsel my clients to hire somebody that is the direct opposite of who they are emotionally, right? In other words, if if I if I have a client who I sense is a passive type that I think has a has a, a bias towards conciliation, right? Then I think a more aggressive attorney serves them well because that attorney is going to counterbalance that and make sure they're looking at, they're not leaving opportunities on the table that they should be more aggressive in pursuing. Conversely, if I have somebody that I know is loaded for bear and they're very combative and they just they just want to run to the courtroom, right? I tend to refer to them an attorney that I know is going to oppose them that I I think. You know that that likes to negotiate, that likes to try to settle things and find that middle ground where appropriate um, to to help manage expectations. For example, that you're not going to have two people charging in thinking they got a slam dunk case when in fact that they don't. I'm curious what you think about that about that mindset,
1: Michael. I know that the advice you're you're suggesting is well-meaning, but uh, I tend to disagree with it. Good. Um I think that if a client is looking for someone to just pound away and be extremely aggressive, if you pair that client with a more reasonable uh, attorney, reasonable is probably not the best word, but calmer, uh, more deliberate attorney, that client's going to get incredibly frustrated. It happens. I've seen it. Likewise, if you are a client that is calm, is thoughtful, um, wants to be sure they're making the right decision and wants a lot of interaction with the lawyer and explanations on why things are being done the way they are, I think that that client will work better with a, with a lawyer that provides that kind of service. It's, litigation's incredibly stressful for everybody yep. including the lawyers yep. and if that if that relationship is not a relationship that you can sit down and have a beer with the person mm-hmm. and talk through the issues it's just not going to be a good relationship
0: interesting okay so i uh, i i'm 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 going to leave that there i'm going to i'm going to go back and process that okay um one other thing that uh, that you brought up that i think I think is, is important and underrated is on billing, right? Uh, yeah, I think my experience is that most clients are, are perfectly willing to pay for value, but they would like some transparency in it. And I'm delighted to hear that you tend, it sounds like you tend to be to err on the side of being overly detailed rather than undetailed in your billing. Is that a fair characterization? Very fair. Yes. So, and, and I, I discovered only recently at our firm, we're the exact opposite. You know, when we send bills out, um uh, we, we don 't i I don't, I don't always see kind of the final version as it goes out. I only learned that we don't send out a lot of detail, which we are now going to fix <laughs> good i, I good. really don't i don't like that i 'm candidly surprised that we haven 't heard more objections from our clients over that right even where we have a fixed fee is 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 mostly my model. I still think it 's important that the client understand kind of You know, there was time spent and where was that spent and who spent it? I just, I think that's a reasonable thing for a client to expect. And lack of transparency leads to lack of trust, which lets imaginations run wild, which then creates other problems in the relationship.
1: And again, detailed bills also allow a client to see exactly what is going on. Yeah. So that they, it's, it's just another way to communicate with the client as to what's going on in the case. So,
0: Lawyers aren't cheap for the most part, correct. Um, and most CPAs are not cheap either. Um, is it unreasonable to demand perfection
1: that's a that's a tough question to answer i would I would start the answer by to a client, what is perfection? Um, is perfection in a transaction asking in an employment agreement, if you're going to be the employee to get two years severance? And as a lawyer, you know the the, the employer is not going to give two years severance. If the client wants that, and that's perfection to them, then I'm not going to provide pre- perfection because I can estimate that the the employer is not going to give that. So understanding from the client what they think is perfection is important on a litigation side. <clears throat> If you have a case and there are a certain amount of damages that you believe you're entitled to, and at the end of the day, you don't get that, is that a failure of perfection or is is it just a matter of the facts that you came to the lawyer with would not allow for the result exactly like you want it? So yes, you want a lawyer to do a really good job for you, and I think that's that's the best we can provide to anticipate perfection um, is 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 going to lead you to being disappointed.
0: So let let, let me. I want to expand upon that a little bit, especially you know in in, in litigation. Um, you know, I I believe, and to tell me if I'm, please tell me if I'm wrong. I, you know, you can try a great case and still come up short.
1: Absolutely,
0: because you don't control all of the outcomes, right? Even assuming for the moment the client gives you everything you need, which isn't always the case, right? But assuming the client even gives you everything that you need, um, judges make mistakes. Juries make mistakes, I believe, anyway. You may not want to go on record saying that, but I firmly believe judges and juries make mistakes. I think they do it. I think they do it a lot because they are human beings.
1: And that's why we have appeals courts. And that's the, We have a, a process that if a mistake is made, um, or perceived mistake, that there is a higher court typically that can review it.
0: Right. Um, but, you know, it's, it's uh, you know, most lawyers don't exist in a world in which they, they control every avenue, right? Even estate lawyers, right, don't control everything. There's always a probate court. There's, a, there's an unknown error. There's something that there's some variable out there that, you know, is just not reasonably foreseeable, by any practitioner. Right. And so right. I think the way you respond to this question is really interesting because that this, st- it, it's, it's really about understand what is the standard of perfection, right? Yes. And I guess, I guess what we're really getting to is, is the standard of perfection is, is, you know, are you, are you doing your best? Are you, do you have a, do you have a command of, of the facts and the law and, have the capacity to put in the mental energy and focus required to be that vigorous advocate for your client.
1: Correct. And it's also the client, you need to set reasonable expectations for your client. Yep. And as long as you're setting reasonable expectations and you can come close to those reasonable expectations, then arguably that's perfection. Yeah. Yeah. You've done what you said you could do, right? Um, and if you don't accomplish it, as long as the client understands, you know you, you've done the best you could. So, um,
0: if somebody decides they do want to make a change, what what are they facing? What does the to do list of the process look like? And I guess it it probably differs, I guess, in the nature of the law that you are practicing. So answer this however you feel the most comfortable. Sure. But what's involved in changing legal counsel?
1: It is it is very different from, say, a transactional lawyer, a corporate lawyer, and a litigation lawyer, um, or a li- dealing with a litigation matter. A transaction lawyer can be fired on the spot, and the, the client can walk in or send an email or text and say you're fired, and that's the end of the relationship. You have to deal with – how do you move the file to a new attorney? Um, but that, again, can be a pretty simple process. From the litigation side, it is much more cumbersome. A From the litigation side, the the attorney has to actually file something to withdraw, and that would be just the attorney wanting to withdraw. Um, the client and the attorney could agree to a withdrawal, and in both cases, a court has to approve it. Um Sometimes new counsel and the client would enter what's called a notice of appearance, where the lawyer is saying, "I am stepping in now to replace a, another lawyer." So, with the in a litigation setting, it's it's more cumbersome for lawyers. We they do it, um, but it's still more steps. Whereas, again, on the transactional side, it's it's very easy to accomplish. Um, the results of that change. Uh, you know, are, are not as simple as the actual change itself. Right. Well,
0: let's talk about the transaction side here. Cause that's the area, I guess, where I, I feel most comfortable talking about, you know, and, and I, I can appreciate, you know, on, on one level, you can sort of change attorneys and you don't need anybody's quote permission, right? Pay the outstanding invoice. I imagine there's some process that maybe is governed by bar ethics, I guess, in terms of turning over work files and doing so in a prompt fashion, I guess you can comment on that. But even that isn't necessarily costless. If you're involved in a transaction, let's say, and you know, if, I, if I'm negotiating a deal with a party and then midway through the party changes attorneys, that can be pretty jarring to the discussion as well, can't it?
1: It can be very jarring, and you mentioned about um, at the termination of a relationship, paying fees and or getting 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 the file transferred. Um, ethically, we need to turn over the file. We can also say, wait a minute, we're going to hold the file until you pay us. Yep. The the standard is if we are really negatively affecting the client by not turning over the file, whether we've been paid or not, that's really the standard. And if we are going to be negatively impacting the, the the client, then we need to go ahead and turn the file over and hopefully get paid later. Um, changing lawyers in mid-course, and we'll talk as you want to in a in a transaction setting. I think the first thing that would say to me, if – the other side changes lawyers in the middle um, is something's wrong with that client or something is going on between the client and the attorney. The client may be being very unreasonable. Yep. Um, So that's, that's not a good look. Um, Also, once you've got an attorney, that's got that institutional knowledge and, and ideally knows the, all of the facts because they've been involved from the beginning, uh, a new attorney a new attorney in the matter i believe is just going to have a really difficult time catching up with all the nuances and plus the cost for that attorney to catch up to those nuances is going to be very expensive so you are probably not doubling the fees you would have paid all in but you're certainly increasing them by 30 to 50% so there are there are those risks it's you know the appearance and the cost factor, and at the end of the day, will you get the result you want potentially because something gets missed, not purposefully, but just by virtue of the change? So, yeah,
0: I, I, I can imagine that as an attorney trying to jump in mid-deal, and it may be hard to find attorneys that will, would even be willing to, to take the case. I like guess it depends how busy they are, frankly, yeah. right? But, but you're really asking somebody to jump on a treadmill going full speed, from a dead stop, yes, and that's hard.
1: It's 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 very hard, and there are different places. And there's risk
0: in that too, right? It's not yeah. just about not just about not looking incompetent, right? But jumping onto a, like jumping onto a treadmill, you get that wrong. Next thing you know, you get a busted ankle.
1: Absolutely, there may be something you didn't know yep. that you miss in the final document, or. You know, the, the question is always: Are you taking on exposure somehow because the prior lawyer didn't do something, and you didn't know that it should or should not have been done? So, are you taking on risk that the prior counsel didn't do the job that they should have done? So that's a that's always that's a risk also by taking a case in the middle.
0: And that's something I hear a lot when 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 lawyers are approached about taking a case taking some sort of matter midstream like that is you know they're often reluctant because what don't i know especially you know the 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 legal field particularly if it's if it's local tends to be a small world right so you know you have a sense as to who you think the good attorneys are and the not as good attorneys are at least the ones you don't you kind of think you know i wouldn't necessarily practice law in that way we'll just leave it at that right and in particular if they if they fire somebody that you, you think is a pretty good attorney, right. And now they're coming to you thinking they get a different result, right. It may be difficult to hire somebody as good a caliber as what they had going in. Right. Yes. Because not every, you know, there's no law that says you have to take the case.
1: And it's, I think it's very <laughs> difficult ultimately for a client to truly appreciate the quality of, a, of an attorney, um, they're just there's so many nuances that we have to deal with yeah. and so much gray area and some attorneys may handle it one way some attorneys may handle it another and it doesn't make it right or wrong um, but you know it's it's I look at clients sometimes and think do you really do you really understand what we're talking about here because it's it's complicated yeah and I you know and I there may have been law school classes that taught about that particular subject. And here the clients being asked to grasp it in fifteen minutes, so it's um, it's hard. It's very hard, and I think pretty you know it's I don't dangerous isn't the right word when you're changing attorneys, but there is certainly risk involved. You
0: definitely have to sort of pick your way around the
1: landmines for sure, right? Yes. And
0: I think in that way, you're in, your profession and mine are actually quite similar because they're highly technical. In most cases, we are working with clients that that would find it very hard independently to evaluate the strength of our, of our work. And, 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 and often the, the, the only objective in their mind view in terms of, of how good a job we're doing is are we meeting their expectations on the way in? Yes. Right. And, and, but you know, things change and in, in, in my world, um, uh, you know, a, a, a I can tell you, right, you know, a, a client's going to be happy if if I determine or praise a company at roughly the number they thought it was going in, which when that happens, terrifies me, right? Um, because it, it, it ought to be at least a little bit different, right? And if if it's not the number they thought, then I'm just a hack, right? And it, it takes a little bit of work to kind of get through that and say, so well, Maybe I'm a hack, but let's just assume I'm not for a minute and kind of walk through kind of what we did. And I think the law sort of works that way too because, again, it's not all, all up to you. Sometimes you have you have to work within a, a set of constraints that may or may not provide that, that straight and clear path to the desired result,
1: right? And things are a negotiation. Right. You're not going to get – let's – Assuming you've got competent counsel on the other side, yep. uh, a client that I'm representing is not going to get everything they want. It's just – it's a given. So it's a negotiation. Again, setting client expectations is, is key. Um, one thing I, I, I need to point out that I think we – I missed or not – didn't point out. In, in terms of changing lawyers, it is – it's different if you are a company. If a company engages a lawyer and then that company terminates the lawyer, particularly in litigation, a company cannot represent itself. Like an individual can be pro se. They could go into court and not have an attorney. A corporation, a company, has to have an attorney. That's just one of the one of the rules. Huh. Okay, I didn't know so um, anybody listening that is thinking of changing an attorney and you are part of a company that's doing that – you need to have another lawyer ready to go immediately.
0: So your in-house counsel cannot represent you.
1: Correct. You have to have, a, you have, to have an attorney, um, an outside counsel who is performing the legal services for you.
0: Okay. Interesting. So and here's another question. It's, it's not on the script, but, but I, I think it's important. Um, as new counsel coming in, whether it's litigation or some other matter, are, A, are you allowed to talk to the prior counsel? Are they allowed to talk to you? And if so, is that something that you would do as the new attorney, as your due diligence as to whether or not you'd want to take
1: on that case? Absolutely. And I would hope that the client would approve that. And I think it really comes down to, will the client authorize prior counsel to talk? That's really the, the way that it would need to proceed And if for no other reason than cost savings, I can sit and review a 60-page purchase and sale agreement, Um, I can talk to the, the first lawyer, and that lawyer can likely help me understand what's in those 60 pages a lot quicker than I can pick it up by reading those 60 pages. Still need to read them, but if I've got the insight prior to reading it, it will help me and ultimately help the client and also save costs so i would i would hope that a client would say yes you can talk to the prior attorney
0: now interesting, uh, you,
1: th- and if you say no it's kind of a red flag if the client says no it's kind of a red flag also what's that attorney going to say
0: well yeah and that's that's where i wanted to, to get in because you asked that question a little bit differently than than I, than I thought you would but it's it's still a good answer but i'll, I'll ask it differently because another piece of information i want to tease out if if i were the the potential new attorney coming in on the matter before i took on the case i would just want to talk to the attorney and say why didn't that relationship work out right is is this is this is this person uh, a lunatic did you or maybe it's something benign maybe that you suddenly discovered that you had a conflict right or for whatever reason, but I, I would think you'd want to, if you can, you'd want to learn that initially, find out, you know, wa- get that postmortem, right?
1: I think you could, <laughs> you can get high level information like you've described. Is that person a lunatic or not? Um, but in terms of anything substantive, I think you really need the client's permission for that to happen,
0: but but you uh, but would you ask for that permission? Absolutely, even yes.
1: before you were engaged, right? To kind of vet that, yes, right? Yeah, just part of our due diligence on whether a client we should take that client or not. Yeah, and, and when you and I mentioned due diligence, yeah, I would encourage clients to do due diligence on their lawyers. Yep, you know whether that's talking to other people, whether that's talking to other lawyers, whether that's going online and searching. Um, one of my pet peeves, though, is even though you can search online and there are all kinds of awards that lawyers seem to have, I'm not sure those awards are always truly indicative of the legal competence of the lawyer. Um, that's probably speaking out of school a little bit. Not many lawyers would like to hear that, but that that's the way I'd look at it. So it's it's really doing your due diligence, sitting down, talking to with the attorney. Making sure that it is a good relationship, that um, it's a person you can get along with because it's a, it's a very close relationship. And if, y'all, if you can't get along with each other, that should be a red flag.
0: So um, a follow-up question I want to ask on this because I think given where this is going, this is really, this is really important. It's given what I'm learning today. If somebody's asking me, if somebody's in a position where they think they might want to change an attorney, I think I I think one of the pieces of advice I would give them is, is, if you decide to change legal counsel, this needs to be your last change for a long time.
1: Ideally, yes, right? going to a third lawyer is uh, you're going to have a tough time finding that third lawyer.
0: Right, uh, right. That's going to be that's going to be someone that's just most likely desperate for the business. Right. Yes. One one change, okay. Things didn't work out. Maybe, maybe it was just a bad connection, or that lawyer in that particular case, the case, didn't do a good job. But man, you're going to change twice in the same matter or more. That that you know that just screams warning, Will Robinson. That kind of thing, right? Yes. So, part of that calculus is you know if you're going to make that change, be sure that person is going to follow you that that's going to be the person (laughs) because you're probably not going to have an opportunity to make that change again and improve your situation realistically.
1: So you're really reinforcing the idea of when you are looking for an attorney, do your absolute best to be sure the first one you engage is someone that's going to be able to handle the case like you want it to be handled or handle the transaction like you want it to be handled. Of course, if the lawyer is unprofessional Turns out to be incompetent, misses deadlines. That those kind of reasons would make it easier to go to a second lawyer. That second lawyer would understand and appreciate those. Right. But again, going to a third lawyer um, at at some point, people aren't <laughs> going to want to take your case for fear that you're, that you're going to leave them and go to try to find lawyer number four.
0: Right. At some point, it's not everybody else; it's you. Correct. <laughs> right. So, um. Here's a potentially unfair question, but I like unfair questions. Should you fire a lawyer over one mistake?
1: Again, that gets back similar to the, the discussion about perfection. Yep. Uh, it's, it's identifying the mistake for one thing. But again, early in my career, and this goes back many years, yep. a, an older attorney at that time told me that, Jeff, all attorneys make mistakes. The good ones get out of them. And I, I think that there is there is truth to that. Yep. And, you know, again, keep in mind, lawyers are humans. You know, humans probably somewhere in the definition says we make mistakes. So mistakes can be somewhat anticipated, but it's it's the impact of the mistake. Yeah. If, you know, if a paragraph gets left out of a purchase and sale agreement or an employment agreement and the client picks up on that and says, hey – you forgot this paragraph and I want it in there, or I want this particular term, I want this particular amount for severance, and the lawyer puts the incorrect number or forgets to put it. That's a mistake. Is that a mistake worthy of firing the attorney? Um, to me, no. Again, as long as the relationship otherwise is really strong. right? There are mistakes like missing a deadline. You have to have an answer filed in court by April 1, and the lawyer misses that. That's a pretty serious mistake, and that that's certainly a mistake worthy of thinking about should I change lawyers. And it, it really – I would encourage somebody in that position, a client in that position, to really sit down with the lawyer and understand why it happened and what the impact is going to be and how do we get out of it. Because, again, the lawyer may have a – I hate to say a valid excuse because I'm not sure there is really a good excuse for missing a deadline. Um, but sitting down, talking with a lawyer, understanding it may be the preferred way to go as opposed to jumping to another lawyer because of all of the issues related to jumping to another lawyer. Right. Okay. So um – Sometimes
0: the thought process of changing counsel may be prompted by another legal counsel suitor jumping in that would like that business. And I'm, I'm curious. It's, it's even awkward to ask the question because it it's, it's, it's hard to ask it in a way that doesn't, doesn't make me sound like a gold plated jerk. So I guess, but I'm on the internet, so I'll just throw it out there anyway. You know, if, if, is is it common, I guess, in your profession where maybe somebody's kind of nipping at the heels trying to displace you, for example, as legal counsel because they would like that client. Is that considered ethical? Is it is it gray business? Is it is it something that you encounter all the time? And and if so, if a client sort of hears it saying, you know what, yeah, you know, Jeff's a great guy, but I think I can do a lot better. Let's meet and review your case and see if we can't get a better result than maybe what, you know, what Jeff is getting for you guys. My, uh, there's a question in there somewhere. I hope you can kind of parse as you process this. You know, how, how do you react to that kind of scenario?
1: We think in, in my firm that other lawyers are always looking to poach clients, that, okay. that it's, it's a given um, any client or any person out in the community potentially is going to run across other lawyers and you can't help but talk about your case somewhat. Yep. So you're going to get opinions. Um, there are also those lawyers that are just really looking to poach clients, particularly if it's a a corporation that's a significant client. Mm-hmm. So – we do our best again, going back to what we talked about earlier of keeping clients informed, giving bills that make sense, being fair and reasonable in our billing. So it it clearly happens. We would I would suggest to clients to be careful because I don't know how, or it'd be very difficult to say I can get a better result for you than another attorney. Um, because probably, at that point, we don't know what the result is anyway, right, so how you know how do you measure I can do better um There may be times, however, that <clears throat> if you're dealing with a lawyer that really doesn't have the experience in the area and you talk to another lawyer and that lawyer seems to have much more knowledge about the kind of law you're dealing with, then maybe the poach is is a good thing. It clearly happens um we try to avoid letting it happen, and whether it's 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 not unethical. Okay. Whether it's gray, um, maybe so, but it's a competitive it's a competitive industry. Okay. A lot, of, a lot of good lawyers out there, a lot of lawyers that aren't as good, but it it clearly happens.
0: Interesting. Okay, so just just because somebody's kind of making making a pitch for the business, right? That doesn't necessarily mean they're a a bad person or a person of questionable ethics. That's just, that's just what happens in a competitive business. I think is what I'm hearing you say.
1: It is. And I I mean, in, in my firm, I don't think we would aggressively try to convince a client to leave an attorney.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and as a matter of personal practice, I generally don't do that either. I typically will tell a client, you know, if, if, if you're happy with, with your, your, with what you've got going on, great. If you have a question, happy to take the call, but i generally won't go further than that um but maybe i'm a
1: sucker <laughs> and you know you mentioned earlier that the legal there are a lot of lawyers in atlanta and in the metro area but it's still a pretty small community yep and if you if you get the reputation of being somebody that's poaching clients that's probably to me that's not a reputation you want to have so
0: um What in your mind, we're running, running out of time here, but the last question I want to get in here before we wrap up is if you're thinking about changing, changing a lawyer, what, what are the, what are the three or four things that are most likely to represent a, a reasonable basis for changing counsel?
1: Lack of communication. Okay. Um, We believe that you return emails daily as soon as you can you just do it you take phone calls you keep clients informed of what's going on in their matter failure to do those things are going to lead clients away from you so if you if your client just doesn't communicate with you or excuse me if your lawyer just doesn't communicate with you that's just not that's not a person you necessarily want to deal with, yeah, in any relationship, especially one that is is tension filled um and as difficult as as a relationship with a with a lawyer and a client again if the if the lawyer just comes across as incompetent, that's yeah, you probably should start looking around
0: and, and incompetent means you know not knowing answers to what ought to be fairly basic questions obviously missing filing dates that to me, that's borderline malpractice. Um, you know, things of that nature might speak to the
1: competence or lack thereof. Correct. Just a, again, an example, um, in any MNA transaction, there's going to be due diligence where one side wants to look at all the information about the other side. And if you, if you're talking to a lawyer about an MNA deal and they really don't have a handle on due diligence, um, that's probably not the lawyer you want to use because that's almost as basic as you can get. And that's a, probably an extreme example, but it's still an example of where you expect lawyers to have some good knowledge of the transaction and to be able to walk you through it and explain to you what's going to be involved. And if they can't do that, that should be a red flag. So, Jeff, we're
0: we're, we're going to wrap up. There's a lot more that we 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 could have talked about today. But didn't, but I do want to underscore that you know, I think a key takeaway from this, this conversation is you know, if somebody's thinking about changing legal counsel, it's not something to be taken lightly. right? And in, in some cases, that may be the result of a poor decision on the client's part rather than, than anything that the lawyer necessarily did has done is doing. Um, but it's obviously a very complex decision. If, if somebody would like to learn more, maybe that, you know, they'd like to get your expert insight into that, that thought process. Can they contact you? And if so, what's the best way to do
1: that? Absolutely. The, yes, um, the, probably the best way to get in touch with me is through, through our website or through my email address, which is the letter J Berman B as in boy E R M A N at B, in, B as in Boy, F as in Frank, V as in Victor Law, L A W dot com. I'd be very happy to talk to people and listen to why they are considering leaving or moving to another attorney, and certainly giving my opinion, understanding it's only my opinion, yep. as that is that a good reason, a valid reason, and will uh will a new attorney understand those reasons as valid reasons?
0: So that's going to wrap it up for today's program. I'd like to thank Jeff Berman so much for joining us and sharing his expertise with us today. We'll be exploring a new topic each week, so please tune in so that when you're faced with your next executive decision, you have clear vision when making it. If you enjoy these podcasts, please consider leaving a review with your favorite podcast aggregator. It helps people find us so that we can help them. Once again, this is Mike Blake, our sponsor is Bradyware & Company, and this has been the Decision Vision Podcast.